I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. British social entrepreneur, founder, and CEO of Charity Made by Dyslexia, Kate Griggs has been shifting the narrative on dyslexia and educating people on its strengths since 2004. Dyslexic herself, she is a leading voice in global advocacy and is leading the charge to disrupt the world's thinking around dyslexia, which is vital for the workplace of the future. Her work to define dyslexic thinking skills has been central to Made by Dyslexia's groundbreaking reports and has seen dyslexic thinking added to the world's largest career platform, LinkedIn, and added as a noun in the dictionary. Now her latest campaign, Learn Dyslexia, asks every school to take a day for dyslexia training courses to empower the one in five dyslexic learners in every classroom. Kate is the author of two Amazon number one bestselling books, a children's book, Extraordinary People, and her new book for adults, This is Dyslexia, which redefines and reshapes what it means to be dyslexic. Kate, welcome in my chair. Very nice to be with you, Quinn. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I don't know if you ever have this to read from something, but I'm like, uh, like when it's done, I'm like, oh God, thank God I got through that. You know, it's always a, still a bit of a um, um, an anxious like thing for me. I I hate reading out loud. I thought it was brilliant. You didn't make any mistakes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I know that um, John Pierre is going to hear it and go, go slower. Um, <laughs> So before we get into kind of what dyslexia is and what you're doing, I wanted to talk about you. As I said in the bio, you are dyslexic, and I think that many people in your family are dyslexic. Yeah, that's right. My my dad was dyslexic. My brother is, uh, my nieces, nephews, both my kids. It's, um well, it's genetic, so it, it runs very strongly in my family. But we've all been really lucky that we've been able to tap into the strengths and get the support that we needed at school. Um, but that's my passion comes from lived experience and, and lots of friends and family with dyslexia. But you, so when you were in school, you're, you know, an adult woman now, but what was the knowledge of dyslexia and, and did you have support back then? So I started out having no support and having a really, really bad experience at school um, until I was about eight years old. Um, they didn't pick up my dyslexia. Um, I could read, but I was struggling with everything else. And I was at a really um, a kind of crammer girls school that fed into some of the, the, the really um, elite private schools in the UK. And they were only interested in academia. And you know, if you weren't hitting the grades, then uh, you were very much written off. And um, I wasn't asked to leave, but it was suggested that I wouldn't pass my entrance exam. So I might want to look for other schools. At eight, uh, at eight years old. At eight years old, yeah. So my parents kind of just thought, because I've got a, a big brother who's dyslexic, they could see that I was dyslexic and, and I needed to be in a different environment. So they sent me to a school that was amazing with dyslexia, not just about giving help for the challenges that every dyslexic faces in um, in education, but, but they were really, really focused on strengths. And literally my life transformed from thinking I was 
um, it really not very bright and having no confidence at all to really understanding that dyslexia is a different way of thinking and it's education should be a joy like it is for for most kids who can who can succeed so it was life-changing and that's really what drives my work and the fact that um, my son my elder son Ted had the same experience in school as I had I just couldn't believe that we were kind of 30 odd years on and nothing had changed so um, that's really what what drives me. It's crazy we're still seeing it as a negative. It's crazy that we're still letting children fail in school and feel that they're not worthy when they're actually brilliant creative thinkers who've got so much to give to the world. So what this what years was it when you were in school? It was a, it was like uh, uh, late sixties, early seventies, okay. um, and then through the seventies. Did what they know about dyslexia then evolve from what we know today? I'm just surprised that they even had a label for it, as I wasn't diagnosed until after high school. Well, that's the crazy thing, Quinn. We've actually known about dyslexia since the 1930s. And my school, um, the good school that I went to, was set up in 1935, I think, based on the fact that um, there were kids that were seemingly very bright but weren't doing well in school and they recognised that these children had dyslexia. So uh, the methodologies of how to support those kids and the fact that they've got these incredible strengths has been known about for decades. It's just we don't fit into the box of traditional education, so we're always put in special needs or or just the kids that are not very bright and therefore the kids that don't get the help that they should get. But what, how to identify dyslexia and what dyslexic kids need has been known for decades. It's just criminal. It's not in every single school. So uh, let's get into, I have a true or false game here, and then we'll get into actually what it is we're talking about. So you can just answer these true or false. Dyslexia is a learning disability. False. About 70 to 85% of children who are placed in special education for learning disabilities are dyslexic. True. People with dyslexia are usually more creative and have a higher level of intelligence. True. I got that from the internet, so I'm not going to argue with that. Those with dyslexia use only the right side of the brain to process language, while non-dyslexics use three areas of the left side of the brain to process language. Um, true and not true. We use all of our brain to process things, but I think in sort of um, simplistic terms, dyslexics could be said to be right brain because it's the more creative side of our brain. Fair enough. Children have a 50% chance of having dyslexia if one parent has it and 100% chance if both parents have it. I'm not sure that's um, scientific, but it's definitely hereditary and that would play out in my family for sure. My husband's dyslexic and we have two dyslexic sons. Okay. Around 40% of people with dyslexia also have ADHD. Again, I don't know how scientific that is. Dyslexia often gets misdiagnosed as ADHD, um, but there is definitely an overlap. Okay. Dyslexics see words backwards. No, it isn't really about seeing. It's a vision. It's more about um, hearing the sounds in um, words. And the last one, dyslexia is not a disease. 
well, that's of course true. It's actually <laughs> a, a huge advantage when you're you're actually trying to find a job in in the world we live in now, which really needs our thinking. And the first one, Quinn, around it's a disability. Learning disability means something very different in other in different parts of the world. So, okay. um, yeah, it's I know that is how it's classed in the US, but learning difference is a much better way of putting it. So what I've found in you know recently is that dyslexia is a broad category that there are different ways that it shows up in different people. So can you help explain what it is? Yeah, very very simply, dyslexia is a different way of processing information. So we tend to to see dyslexia mainly um, through challenges that children have in school, learning to read um, or learning with rote learning, so memorizing lots of facts and figures, and then getting those thoughts down on paper. Um, and that is a way of processing information that is traditional and sequential that we use in education. But it really is just a different way of thinking. There's a huge pattern of strengths that go with dyslexia as well. So creative thinking, emotional intelligence, problem solving, reasoning skills, all of those things we know are um, very um, over-indexed with dyslexic people. But it's not those things that we're measuring in school. So we tend to see it as a negative when actually it, it, it does come with struggles in education and struggles with rote learning and things that we've said, but it also comes with that pattern of strengths. And it's the strengths that are really important and really vital in the world today. So what would be, what age would you say that an educator or someone would, would say, oh, this child has dyslexia? It depends on the severity of the problems that a child is having. Um, but actually, I always say that you can spot dyslexia as much through the strengths as you can through the challenges. So I'll give you an example of that. My son, Ted, when he was three and a half, four years old, um, he could tell you the name of every single dinosaur. He could tell you whether they were herbivores or carnivores. Um, he, if you show him a, showed him a picture, he'd tell you what it was. Um, but he had absolutely no interest in reading books. He loved having them read to him. Um, and he could barely write his name. So there was <clears throat> this seemingly super intelligent kid who was fascinated about so many things, but really did not want to do any form of traditional learning and that should be a marker for any parent whatever age your child is it's that mismatch between this curiosity and this um, creativity which is dyslexia and not being able to to perform as you'd expect for somebody who's that seemingly that bright um, in the classroom does it always involve being a poor speller or poor reader um we did some research on that. I think um, off the top of my head, I think about 85% of dyslexic people are poor at spelling. But some dyslexics will have really amazing visual memory. So they'll be able to see the word. So they'll they'll be able to, to write it from memory. They do come a cropper when you get irregular spelling. So something like there, which can be spelled in so many different ways. It depends which way your visual memory might remember it. Um, but in general, poor spelling is... 100% a sign of dyslexia. 
So not to get too technical, because I'm not technical at all, but what's ha- what is someone who is a good speller doing? And what is someone who is dyslexic doing with, with the, um, I guess it's phonetics? Yeah, so if you think about um, spelling a word, um, somebody is telling you the word or it's coming from your brain and you want to get it, it's the thought that you want to get on paper. In order to write something and spell something correctly you have to sound it da- sound it out in your mind and then turn it into symbols on a page um, and that's where the disconnect comes for dyslexic people um, they might there are lots of words that are not spelt as they sound so you'll be spelling it out but it's not going to come out quite like that on paper um, but fortunately now we have spell check so um, a great thing to do uh, even spell check can can trip up dyslexics because you have to be able to have a sort of idea of how it might work. But correct, um, I yeah. remember trying to do spell check, and you know it's bad when th- you don't even have a suggestion. It's like oh, Siri's you know. the way to go, or whatever yeah. you use. But if you ask, right. they usually at least give you a starting point. <laughs> I think what happened to me, I I was a very poor reader, and it took a long time. Is that eventually I learned um, the shape of the word, which is probably really strenuous for your mind to have to do. But like, so I would learn the shape of a word and then memorize that instead of sounding it out. Yeah. So it's your visual memory that you tapped into to be able to, to see what the word should look like. And is there also a comprehension issue if you're working that hard to read i imagine that sometimes it's hard to then process the information yeah dyslexic people don't um they don't automatically remember a word once they've seen it so every time you see that word you kind of have to read through it again so it normally takes us longer to read things and we normally have to overread things to get the gist of it um, so if it's something that's important text that you need to take in, you will need to read it more more than most people would who were not dyslexic. So I remember like as a kid when in the first grade, which I did twice, um, they were teaching the words on, you know, they had the pictures of the letters around the border of the ceiling of the room and they were going around and teaching, you know, mm, and like whatever M sound M made. I was totally like, drooling on my knee and pulling the the red rug apart and just like literally not listening to any of it. And I, I don't know that I ever went back and was like, oh, now it's time to do that. I had no interest in learning in that way. Do you find that common? Yeah, it's very common because if you, if, if you're not getting something, um, you don't enjoy it and therefore you're likely to let your imagination go off into an area that's far more interesting um, and not concentrate and maybe mess around or just be daydreaming. And I think that's where often the ADHD and dyslexia overlap. It may just be that you're really not engaged and can't learn. So therefore you, you end up doing different things. Certainly um, that was my experience at school. I would get incredibly bored when I couldn't understand. My my biggest problem in school was math, to be honest with you. Um, 
I hated it, absolutely hated it, could never learn my times tables. And I had a, an, a very strict math teacher in my first school that put me off it for life. But if you give me a spreadsheet, I can always spot where the problem is. So in the real world, it's fine because you've got technology to use things and calculators. But um, yeah, it's it, it's a big problem when you're not learning and you're not getting engaged at school with the lessons, you tend to switch off. And it's important for teachers to recognise that it's not that you're being um, naughty or, or daydreaming. It's because you kind of can't follow. So they need to bring you back into the class and help. So you went to a school that was encouraging and specialised in people from dyslexia throughout what we would call like grade school to high school. Yeah, it wasn't a specialist dyslexia school. It was a mainstream school. Um, that recognised and did really well with dyslexic students. Um, and it was primarily looking at leading it, leading from a strengths perspective. It was very, it's a very creative school. It's a very sporty school. Um, and it, it naturally supports people who don't fit into the traditional education mould, although they do have, you know, straight A grade students as well. But um it wasn't a mainstream, it wasn't a dyslexic school. It was just a very good school. So Kate, I think there is, I've talked to people I know who have kids that they're wondering, oh, in New York, there's a very famous school up, um, I think in the West Village and up, you know it, the one in Westchester. And um, someone was telling me that their child was showing signs of having dyslexia. And there's a thing about, do I put them in a school with where that will be, you know, um, nurtured and and encouraged but then they're kind of separated or should I keep them in the school that they're in because that's the model that you know at least schooling in our kind of linear society works from so is the goal when you go to a school that that encourages your strengths and dyslexia is it to then do well on your standardized testing and get into a good college or is it to stay on a different path for your life? Well, I think that with the right teaching, um, and that means that every teacher, every class teacher needs to understand dyslexia well enough to support that kid in the classroom. And then if you're struggling, there are people that you can go to to get the extra help. That can be put into every single school. It's just about skilling up the teachers. Um, personally, I I think that there's a huge benefit in not going to a dyslexia specialist school. I think it's great to really? stay in Yeah, I think it's great to stay in mainstream school if you can. Um, but it depends what sort of provision the, the the school is giving. I mean, I know there's a lot of work going on in New York City around dyslexia. We've been working with the Department of Education to help train teachers. Um, and, and it's not perfect yet, but they are moving in that direction. But I'm, but Kate, I'm always going to feel inadequate. Like, like take someone who doesn't have rhythm. You might be able to coach them and teach them choreography. They're never going to be a dancer. I'm never going to be a great speller or reader or writer. I can read and I do read books and I can get to a proficient level. But if I'm being taught to get to to get by or to get to a certain level, but I'm never gonna I'm never going to excel, right? So am, am I not setting myself up to always feel less than? 
I I don't think you should be. That might be the experience that's happening in, in public schools, but that shouldn't be the experience. Providing you get enough support to make sure that you're reading at grade level and you are not being tested um, and measured uh, to, in, in the way that your your difficulties are holding you back, then there is every reason that dyslexic children can flourish in mainstream schools. We have technology now that removes so much of the difficulties. Uh, and if you've got a school that really will lean into the strengths, then um, it, everybody should be able to continue in mainstream school. But it is all down to teachers having that expertise. I mean, we've worked with schools all around the world who are just regular regular schools that have put the right support in place and recognise all the, the things that dyslexic kids are good at and, and help them. And and as a, not all dyslexic children will completely fail in the traditional academia either you get masses of lots of, of dyslexic children do excel in academia if they get the right support and end up as rocket scientists or or you know really amazing doctors or surgeons so um i think it's the choice of whether you want to send your child to a private dyslexia school or not and i can imagine that's it's very attractive if your kid is falling behind and you really want to get them to catch up well right and it's also an elitist thing because yeah I don't think that most people, A, you know, don't live in New York City or live in a city that has that kind of support system. So what would you suggest parents do who don't have a lot of resources? So the first thing I would do is have a look at the training um, films that our charity Made by Dyslexia has created because they are phenomenally good for teacher, for, for parents as well as teachers. We've worked with um, – two of the world's leading dyslexia school dyslexia schools or experts from dyslexia schools so those teachers are giving you really amazing um, tips tricks and things that you can do with your child um, but also it will enable you to then go back into your school and say look do you understand dyslexia um, from the strengths lens because this is what needs to be happening in the classroom so it gives you that sort of battle power really to be able to go in and try and get the schools to to take the training as well have there been studies done about depression and anxiety and things like that with with kids who have dyslexia uh, i'm sure there are lots of things going on at the moment i ask because if you're not succeeding at school and that's the one measure of success that we kind of have in this society you know, um, it can be, it, I mean, from personal experience, I'm sure it added to some of my frustration and depression growing up. I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure it does add to it. I mean, we, we've done, um, we actually in our, our teacher training, we've got a module on, um, emotional impact. You're completely right. If you can't do what other kids can do at school, um, you automatically feel that you're not good enough. And uh, I mean, I, Ted, my my son, when he was really, really struggling at school, uh, and he was only five, and I was going into the school saying, look, he's really unhappy, he's clearly dyslexic, you need to do something about it. And his first school just was saying, oh, he's just a boy, he's, he's a bit of a slow learner, he'll catch up. But one day, Ted <coughs> Ted came home, and I was I was putting him into bed and reading him his story, and this makes me choke up when I say it. But he basically said to me, 
he said, Mummy, what do I have to do to not wake up in the morning? And I said, mm. why on earth would you say that to him? And he said, well, I just, I hate school so much. I feel stupid. I just, I, I don't want to go. And that really was um, just seeing him go from being this amazing, creative little boy to withdrawing into his his sort of fear of school and, and his self-esteem going through, um, going to rock bottom was, it, it's really what drives me today because that should not be happening to these brilliant kids. You know, we, we were able to take Ted out of that school and send him to a private school, a mainstream school that supported him. But uh, we can do that. Most people can't. And it's just, it's criminal that those that's still happening to kids all around, all around the world, to be honest with you. It shouldn't be. Oh, that's so heartbreaking. I remember, I can relate to a few things that you said is one is the unevenness, like, because I asked my mom now about it. And I was really excelling at, at, you know, certain subjects, and then really not at the ones we've discussed. And so it does feel like um, it's very uneven. And I still feel like that in my life today is that I'm really excel at what I'm good at, and really not good at what I'm not good at, you know, but isn't that what success is, though? If you look at any any really really successful person, they've lent in, leaned into what they're really really good at, and you only need to be good at one thing, and you can be successful and happy in life. Um, it's just important. Yeah, but nobody without... tells you that. No, you, and they need to, don't they? They really do. A well-rounded academic, yeah. so that you can get into a good school. You know, it's like the the four thing. You know, that yeah. you have to have good grades in every subject. And then also, you know, be able to, you know, be a cheerleader and a football player and, and then maybe you'll get into something. Do you crazy, think that crazy. the, um, well, for you, did the insecurity or the feeling not good enough, do you think that it went away? I don't think it ever goes away, to be honest with you. Um uh, I've got a, a podcast that's going to be launching soon called Lessons in Dyslexic Thinking. And one of the questions that I've asked some of the world's most successful people is about their seven-year-old self and what their seven-year-old self would think about what they're doing now. And it the reaction is incredible. I asked Mayor Adams when we were at the World Dyslexia Assembly and we were filming with him there, I asked him that question and it brought him to tears and it does with most people because you'll you'll be able to relate to this Quinn I certainly can mm -hmm. 7 years old at school I felt like I was really really stupid and I hated school I I couldn't do the schoolwork it's it's it runs deep those feelings run deep I bet I mean think about that now for you it does run deep doesn't it I've never gotten over it no. I think part of it fuels me to make a better life for myself and to do the things that I do. It, and, and unfortunately, a lot of it comes from a place of insecurity and feeling less than. And I realize now that I don't need that to do what I do, that it's actually baggage. Um, but it's still there. I'll never forget. And I don't think they would do this today, but this was like the early 90s you know, um, in sixth grade, everybody had to take a statewide spelling exam. And every time you passed the level, you went on to the next level of the test. And there were only there. So you get up at the school auditorium, the sixth graders were the oldest in the school and everybody turns around and looks at the sixth graders. And 
everybody stands up for who passed the first round. And as you know, it goes, then, you know, at the end, there's only like two people standing who passed every round of spelling. There were only three people in the two classes that didn't pass the first round. And I was one of them and two other special ed kids. And I remember being sitting in the seat and having all of my classmates standing up. And I was the only one who I felt like was singled out for being stupid. Um, and in fact, when my teacher got the list of the people who didn't pass the first round, she was incredulous because she hadn't realized that in me yet and said, oh, this can, this has to be a mistake. There's no way Quinn didn't pass the first round. And then I also felt exposed. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like those memories you just, you just um, never forget. I felt a lot like, um, I mean, it's almost like when you're gay too, before you come out, you're hiding. So it was like, oh God, I hope no one calls on me today. I hope people don't find out that I remember having really bad penmanship so that people would think, oh, he's just has bad penmanship. He's not stupid and can't spell. And so there's all these little tricks that I did to try to overcompensate. Um, I'm sorry, this is not the podcast about me. It's about you. No, but it's, but, it, uh, uh, no, it's fascinating because we all go through the same thing. I, I had a teacher that, um, I, I love science and I loved animals. Um, this was at my first school. I had a teacher who's my science teacher, but also my maths teacher. And she could not understand why I didn't know my times tables. And she used to humiliate me by making me stand on a chair and recite them. <laughs> and I didn't know them. And I used to sit in the meeting, ter- uh, the, the um, lessons terrified that she'd call me out and, and make me do that. So it happens to us all. And it just runs so deep because it's a, it's a very, very formative age when you start to struggle around six or seven. It's a really formative age for you as a person and, and the character and the person that you're going to become and your confidence. So it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. And it's still happening today, which is why I think it's so important that we, we make sure that every teacher knows that bad spelling is dyslexia and not somebody who's not learned the spellings. So. So honestly, Kate, if you were able to say, I'm going to have another child and I, have the choice. God asked me, do I want them to be dyslexic or not dyslexic? What would you choose? 100% I would have them be dyslexic because I know the positives that come with dyslexia and we've as a family all been able to lean into that. And also if you look at all of the research that is coming out of the workplace and the World Economic Forum and big global consultancies like EY, um, we have this skills gap. Every single business, every company around the world uh, is looking to hire people who have got emotional intelligence, creativity, problem solving. The top five skills that the World Economic Forum say that every workplace is looking for um, and AI can't replicate are dyslexic thinking skills. Um, so it, it really is our time to shine. We just have to get through education first. But so what are the dyslexics really good at? Like, let's get into that now that we've said what we, you know, what we kind of lack. Um, why would you want your child to be that? What what kind of skill set does it give us? So the type of skill set it gives us is um, we're 
I'll give you it in practical terms. Dyslexic people are really good at seeing the big picture. So um, if you're not dyslexic, you tend to be, you sort of go through, you process things in a very structured, orderly way, whereas a dyslexic person will see the big picture. They'll take a helicopter view of something. Um, it, that is a brilliant, brilliant skill for entrepreneurs who can see right across lots of information and be able to get to the nub of what's important or what the public needs or, or what's, what really is the crux of the matter. Um, big picture thinking is a really amazing way of thinking. Dyslexic people also have incredible emotional intelligence um, and they're able to, and you can apply this across whatever it is you do, that they, they're able to see beyond what's right in front of you, but use all of their senses and their emotions to really read a person and understand what's going on. That's incredible, um, an incredible skill for team building. And I'm sure in what you do as well, when you're, you need to understand how somebody's feeling to be able to understand what it is you need to do to make them feel better or feel beautiful or, or, or look at their best. So there's lots of different ways that you can apply that. Problem solving um, as well and sort of reasoning skills. We work very closely with the British Intelligence Agency, GCHQ, who actively recruit dyslexic people for the way that they think because they're able to make connections that other people can't um, to problem solve and, and spot cyber crimes and all sorts of incredible things so when you lean into all the things that we're really good at they are amazing skills for the future we just have to flip that outdated um belief that uh dyslexia is just about poor reading and writing because it is so much more than that and it's the strengths that are so vitally important do you think there's a relationship, a higher percentage of entrepreneurs, CEOs, and um, inventors who are dyslexic? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, uh, there was some research done a little while ago um, that found that 40% of uh, entrepreneurs are dyslexic and 60% of self-made millionaires are dyslexic. So it's that. And, and I think what I do, I mean, Richard Branson, who's a big supporter of our charity, Richard always um, refers to me as a social entrepreneur, which is a lovely, I think, a fantastic <laughs> description for somebody who runs a charity. But I, I can definitely use my sort of entrepreneurial dyslexia um, strengths to, to be able to move things faster than, than most charities in this space are doing. So um, the, the, and that is looking at the big picture, building really good teams around you, recognizing, um, delegating, recognizing that you're really good at some things and not good at others. And so is everybody else. So you, the, the most successful teams in the world lean into strengths and, and delegate challenges because there'll be somebody who, somebody who's my challenges will be their superpowers. And that's how you actually create the best teams and, and the best working environment for people. Yeah, it's almost like when they used to have vocational schools where people could specialize in something. And in Europe, I think, I don't know this, but I felt like in Italy or other countries, you can kind of specialize from a younger age about if you want to go into sciences, if you want to go into arts and like really lean into that. I think there's too much importance on being well-rounded when not everybody is naturally well-rounded. I, I think certainly for... I mean, our education system in the UK is well-rounded, rote learning. It's not great. There are better things happening across Europe than we have here. Um, 
And I think the US is very similar to to what we have here. But I think I think it's important not to specialize until kids are old enough to to make an informed choice. But dyslexic thinking skills are obvious from a really, really young age. Um, and those are the things that teachers need to spot and find find ways to engage their dyslexic students and enable them to to tell you what they know in a way that isn't just writing it down on paper. And, you know, with technology, they can make films about it. They can um, they can use AI to talk about it. Now they can they can use uh, voice to to speech or text to voice to text. Um, all these things are there now. It's just we don't have to be in this traditional mold of education, which is is you know very linear and and all about remembering facts and figures because that's just not the way the world works anymore. I wanted to ask you about dyslexia and ADD and dyslexia and ADHD. And is it important to know, because I'm unsure, I know I'm dyslexic. I feel like I have ADD because of the way that I have super intense focus on things that I'm interested in and can, you know, really zoom, zoom in and work incredible hours, but doing something that I'm not interested in feels like, pure torture. And so anyway, yes. So I wanted to know what, what is the difference between the two? Because dyslexics daydream a lot. Isn't that an attention deficit? I I don't think daydreaming is, is an attention deficit. Daydreaming is, is a brilliant way to come up with original solutions. Um, mm. In a classroom, it may not be deemed as an advantage if you've got a teacher that really wants to keep kids focused rather than letting you explore your imagination. But it's a difficult one because without a shadow of doubt, some children with ADD, ADHD, really struggle to concentrate um, and um, the solution, particularly in the US, but but more so, it's becoming more common here, is to medicate. Um, and I guess that's a choice of whether you want to medicate your child or not. If you have a kid that has got straight dyslexia and not ADHD, they don't need to be medicated. And in fact, I think if I don't have ADHD, my kids don't either. They just have dyslexia. Um, and I remember when Ted was uh, first at school, they were suggesting that he may have ADHD as well. And we took him to um, a psychologist who said, no, he he is only dyslexic. He is able to sit and concentrate for a long time. And he is able to, he's not impulsive. He understands how to interact, what's expected of him and what's not expected of him. So he can Right, conform. so how did they know? I mean, I, I think that the kind of biggest difference in very simplistic terms is is self-regulation. If you can if you can regulate your behavior, um, then you are not you're unlikely to be ADHD. If if you can't and you sort of fire off and really can't concentrate on anything, then um, you are likely to have ADHD. I mean, I'm not an expert on ADHD. I do know about dyslexia. And there is an overlap without a shadow of doubt. Um, my my only, my personal concern is that if you aren't ADD or ADHD and you medicate, I think it, it dumbs down some of your, it would, certainly would dumb down some of my creativity and the way I think, which 
sometimes when I'm trying to solve a problem, sometimes it can actually be quite painful because I've got all these amazing ideas and I'm trying to get them to fuse into the way that I want them to fuse. And eventually that happens. And it's like an aha moment where I've solved, I've solved a problem or simplified something down into a really, really simple um, nub of what we need to know. And it's, it's a process. And I have to go through that process in order to get to where I want to get to. Um, and I would never want to take anything. I would never want to dumb that process down because it's just the way my mind works. But I think it's a personal decision as well, um, whether you want something that that levels you out, which I guess is what, what um, ADHD meds tend to do. I wanted to ask you something on a personal level, what I've noticed about myself, and it took a long time, is that if I'm happy and passionate about something and working towards a goal, I'm not um, lethargic and tired. It's like if I start to feel like I'm sleepy and tired and lethargic, now I know it's not actually anything to do with rest and sleep. It's because I'm not, um, I'm not engaged. Have you ever heard of that before? Yeah. Isn't that the same for everybody? I mean, if, if, if you, don't like doing something then it's boring and you'll do you'll do everything to try and not do it or most people do and you've really got to discipline yourself to sit down and do it and I think for dyslexic people that's even stronger because something that you're good at or you're passionate about you'll be so energized that you can you can do it for hours I mean I I work I work really late on things often because I really want to get to the end of it and I'm enjoying it and but when I've got to do things like um, accounts or you know filing or really boring stuff, uh, it just just makes me want to switch off. We've all got to do those things, I know, but mm-hmm. um, it is that they often refer to dyslexia as being a spiky profile, which is if you're not dyslexic, you tend to be um, all of your measurements of of skill and ability would kind of be in a range either above average or below average. When you're dyslexic, there are things that you are absolutely brilliant at so you'll be in the top one percentile for it and then there'll be things you're really not good at and you'll be in the bottom percentile for that and for me my bottom percentile is anything sequential so if I've got to process if I've got to file things or kind of run through a a, a linear process I just hate it but give me a big picture and a big problem to solve and I'm there and I'll do it I'll spend all night doing it if I have to so I think you just sound like you're very dyslexic, Quinn, and you know what you like. I feel seen. <laughs> I feel heard and seen for the first time in life. I'm a spiky profile. <laughs> um, that is, I mean, that's absolutely true for me. Um, but, okay, one, we're going to get off of the ADHD thing, but also a spiky profile does that also lead to more addiction? Um, I think it can. I mean, there are some horrible statistics around dyslexia and alcohol, um, dyslexia and drugs. Um, and I think it is, I think it's that trying to escape um, uh, it trying, trying. It, we've touched on on what it feels like if you're not seen and and you're you really struggle at school and and the impact that has in life. Um, sometimes I think it can lead lead people to to drinking more to escape from their mind. Um, and I know there is a big there is a big link um, with ADHD 
um, <clears throat> and self-medication. Um, yeah, there definitely is, and I, I'm, I'm sure there is with dyslexia as well. It's that it's that thing of um, struggling to live in your own skin, really, isn't it? Sometimes it's nice to escape, or looking for stimuli. Yeah. Right, like it, you you don't want the moment that you're not focused on something and it feels boring and bland. Mm. You're on the hunt for the thing that you know gets you off. Yeah, which hopefully is something positive, productive, and and you know, uh, with your purpose in life and not something destructive. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what you need to try and find. Is that what makes for a successful adult dyslexic? Uh, what makes for a successful adult dyslexic is tapping into their strengths and recognizing that the things that they're not good at are nothing to be embarrassed about. You just need to delegate or use technology. And when you can't do that and you make mistakes, it's important to have a sense of humor because <laughs> there, there'll be occasions when you'll make a spelling mistake that is is actually very funny or very embarrassing um, and just own it. I think you need to own your dyslexia. And, really lean into the strengths because it makes such a difference to understand that you're brilliant at all of these things and there are things that you're not so good at that just come come with the it's it's kind of a whole picture you've got to see dyslexia as as the whole picture and and the modern view of it which is this pattern of strengths and challenges do you ever um like supposition someone that's dyslexic or you're like i know you are and you're not diagnosed and you don't know you are Almost like when you're gay and like you can feel that somebody else is gay and they don't have to say it. Oh, I definitely can spot dyslexic people, hundred um, percent. And and I, and it, I don't know. I it is about seeing the sort of the regular markers of somebody who who's perhaps struggling to get their thoughts on paper, or they give you something written. And it just doesn't quite make sense or because they've made some silly errors in it. And yet they're obviously hardworking people. So you sometimes see it through that. But I don't know. I think there's just um, there's a spark. There's something behind a dyslexic person's eyes that sort of you feel like this is this is your team. <laughs> you sort of your you know what I have to tell you, Kate, when I so we met because I think I followed your account on Instagram. And then I, like to my amazement you asked me to be a part of the world dyslexia day assembly and so i had never been around knowingly around so many dyslexic people and i have to say it was like it was incredible i did feel a certain connection to everyone i met or in the room that day that we just tacitly understood each other it 100% that happens it really happens it's just we just dyslexic people like I said, process information differently. We operate on a on a slightly different plane to other people. And when you're in a group, I'm like all of my team are dyslexic, um, are made by dyslexia. Even the head of comms that we just hired, she didn't realize she was dyslexic till she started working for us. And then it kind of everything fell into place. But I liked her vibe. I liked her attitude. I liked just the way that she saw things. And that's what that's what you found at the assembly didn't you it was just so many yeah. like-minded people and it was and and there's a spark and a brilliance in us that when we all get together we've all all of us have had that feeling of not feeling as good as others and i think that drives you forward and makes you more empathetic and um 
uh, and it enables you to understand other dyslexic people on a on a, a really amazing level. Also, there's so many in my industry. Like I uh, don't yeah. think that everybody knows they are, but um, you know, definitely two hairstylists who I'm thinking of. One lives in LA and one lives in New York. Both have dyslexia. I'm going to diagnose one of them, but the other one told me he has severe dyslexia and they're both geniuses at hmm. looking at the full picture at looking at the woman, looking at her features, what, how the hair should frame the face. What is it going? What, where is she going? What's the appropriateness? It's what you were saying about a dyslexic is like, I absolutely know it's, it's an advantage in what, in what we do in terms of, um, understanding the situation, the woman, the context, the and the teamwork of the styling and the hair and the makeup and the photography and how it all works together. Absolutely. Like I see it all the time. Yeah, I mean I and I think also um it's something that eighty percent of children leave school without their dyslexia being identified. It's a horrendous statistic. Um, so often you do find out later in life. There's a great test on our website. It's like a checklist, and it, it'll tell you whether you're dyslexic or not. Which I always okay, direct I'm people to. I'm sending that to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm it's be like, like here, take yeah. this test and just tell me what number you got at the end. <laughs> it's that thing, isn't it? Of of like-minded people. It really is dyslexic people. And when, when we get together, we're like-minded and you can kind of spot it in somebody else. And it's it's really good to work with those people because it's it just makes life easier. They get it the way you get it. Of course, we need non-dyslexics to do things as well. I was going to say, but who at your company <laughs> proofreads your emails? Well, we tend to use spell check and um i have a little line at the end of my emails which says expect creative spelling and creative thinking but all joking aside we have a copywriter who is dyslexic but she's just really good at checking things so we do have people who do checking as well but spelling if you make a spelling mistake um in in our sphere it's not a problem Mm-hmm. Do dyslexics leave like cupboards open and drawers a lot or put like their keys in the refrigerator? Um, uh, That's I, me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, my husband always gives me a hard time for being really messy. I'm, I'm really careful with my appearance. But if you look at our house, he's constantly having to follow me around and tidy things up. But yes, I think, and it's not laziness. I just forget where I've put things. Um, but yeah. He's become very meticulous because I'm not, and he's dyslexic as well, which is quite amusing. We kind of we 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 bounce off each other. We do. I do the things that he's not good at, and he does the things I'm not good at, which is which is cool. <laughs> I found some. Of my partner is is really a different thinker and approaches life in an almost a polar opposite way that I do, but it works because we have different strengths, you know? So mm. he can, he's an English as a second language and can parse words in a, in a sentence and like in English, you know? Um, and he, you know, is great at spelling and he can think of things in business that are very, very linear, but I have strengths that he doesn't. So I think it's kind of fun to, and we're both aware of it. So it's kind of fun to, um, to see how we're, we're different. I wanted to ask you about w- the work that you're doing at Made by Dyslexia because it's pretty incredible what you have accomplished in such a short amount of time. And then I also want to know where are you going with with this? 
Um, well, thank you. Um, I think it's um, I, I think it's dyslexia's time. I, I think that with everything that is happening um, with artificial intelligence and with technology and the fourth industrial revolution, um, everybody is beginning to realise that we need to look at intelligence and talent differently. Um, and I think that because we've produced, as a charity, we've produced two or three reports that are highlighting and aligning dyslexic thinking with um, the World Economic Forum skills for the future, I think it's made people sit up and listen. Um, and I also believe that creating free solutions for schools with our learned dyslexia training has made a difference because it means that uh, schools, teachers, I mean, the mayor of New York has had all the school teachers in New York do it through the Department of Education. It's free and it's a window into the world of dyslexia that makes it not as scary for teachers. Um, and that now is we're, we're working with states and cities across the US. Um, we've got all sorts of amazing things happening um, with that teacher training and, and our, our mission is to train every single teacher uh, in the world so we we're hoping we've aligned with the US. Are you going to accomplish that? We will I'm absolutely sure we will um, just just the what's happened from you know New York we targeted New York when I heard the mayor of New York was dyslexic we targeted New York because you know the age old saying if you can make it there you can make it anywhere it's the biggest school district in the world it's the city with the most number of schools and teachers um and we've we've been able to start a really sort of seismic systemic change there and now there are literally states all over the US um and cities coming forward wanting to do it so it it will be um a kind of escalation of of this is what needs to be happening um and uh, we've also started uh, a similar with with, with our dis, uh, teacher training. We've partnered with Microsoft because they um, have a global tech platform. It sits on their platform. It's free. It's um, in lots of different languages. So it's we can if if a government comes to us and, and wants uh, the government of France came to us and wanted to do it, which they haven't. But if they did, um, it's in French, so they could literally put it across all schools because it's on demand and um, online. And we've now partnered with LinkedIn to create uh, some training for the workplace as well. So that will be released in um, October. And again, we want to do the same thing, get every single workplace to learn about dyslexic thinking and empower dyslexic thinking in the workplace. So I, I do believe we'll achieve it. I think we're on a roll. There's, there's a massive community we've in the six years we've been going we've built the biggest community of dyslexic people um and their allies and it is about starting that movement getting people to take it into their schools and there are some amazing things happening from australia to scotland um so yeah i, I we will get there because there's without a shadow of doubt we've all seen how fast ai is moving and dyslexic thinking and AI are a perfect co-pilot. They work together really, really well because where AI aggregates all of the information, dyslexic people innovate and have incredible um, an incredible ability to work with all of that information. So, um, yeah, it's things are moving fast, and and I am an eternal optimist. So I'm going to tell you that we are going to achieve it by 2030 because we've aligned with the UN Sustainable Goals. Um, and this is, it affects three of the goals. So we, we're really, really pushing hard to move it forward. 
How many people did you start with six years ago and where are you now? Um, Well, we're still a very small team, actually. We started out with two. We have a core team of um, about 15 now. Um, but we, what, because as a charity, our, our mission or our goal is to not exist, because if we can train every workplace and we can train every school and we can help people to understand dyslexia as this amazing um, way of thinking, um, then our job is done. So we keep a very small team and we bring in, when we, the assembly we did in the US, we brought in an incredible events team that helped us and we work with them to do things around the world. So a, a, a really passionate team of, of people around us um, is what's driving it forward. Kate, don't you think that uh, that dyslexia is a part of evolution so that the human race can survive? I think I'm sure it is. I do. Yeah. Because I, I think that you need pe- a certain percentage of the population who thinks differently. So we have people like Einstein. Yeah, we absolutely need people who think differently. And if, if you look at what dyslexia has achieved over the years, it's, it, you know, the light bulb, the the iPhone, um, so many amazing in- inventions have come from a dyslexic's mind. Um, and, and it's only since we've had this sort of obsession of standardized tests and rote learning um, and this really traditional education system that dyslexics have have struggled and been seen as as not good enough when actually i mean imagine if we turn the education system on its head and expected people who are not dyslexic to think like us that would be a real amazing thing wouldn't yeah, it let's do that <laughs> that's what we should be doing you know and i feel the same way about gay trans race yeah. gender i think it's all on purpose for human survival and that we are not supposed to all be the same and that every person, every group brings something different to the collective. And that if we try to homogenize, we will not survive. So Completely. that's my soapbox. Um, this is a question I ask everyone at the end of the podcast is if you could go back in time and meet yourself somewhere, when would it be? And what would you say? I think it would be my seven-year-old self, eight-year-old self, when my teachers wrote me off and said that I'd never achieve anything. Um, I think it would be then, or maybe even a little bit earlier when I was really struggling at school. And just to say, you know, you're dyslexic, it's okay, look at all the things you're brilliant at. Um, Yeah, I think that would definitely be where I would go. And I hope that's what, with our... Um, drive to to make teachers and parents aware. I hope they'll be able to do that to those kids who are struggling in school right now. Um, and I'm going to round this out with a fun game from James Lipton that he used to ask his uh, guests on uh, inside the actor's studio. What's your favorite word? Um, dog, because <laughs> it's my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. What's your least favorite word? Uh, maths. Math? Math, as in. Oh, math. Yeah, yeah. Arithmetic. We call it maths in the UK, but math maths. in America. It's plural. Um, and you say cereals? Yes. Um, what turns you on? Um, uh, being. being 
disruptive having a massive challenge that I have to if somebody says no I have to prove you can't do that I have to prove them right I'm assuming you meant in that sense rather than in sexual uh, sense. yeah you know what I just ask you whatever whatever sense you uh, yeah. you mean it in you know I wonder if they've ever done a study about dyslexics and masturbation I bet that the the rate is really high just speaking from um, personal experience with all the imagination <laughs> you know in school when you're younger the imagination and stuff Anyway, we'll get to that on part two. Um, what turns you off? Uh, negative people. What sound or noise do you love? A bird song. I thought you were going to say your son's voice because he's an amazing singer. Oh, he um, is, isn't he? He was incredible. He was like a rock star. He sang at the World Dyslexia Day, and I was like, oh. This guy's <laughs> got it. Um, what sound or noise do you hate? Um, diggers and, and large industrial noises. Uh, what's your favorite curse word? Shit. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, an artist. What profession would you not like to do? An accountant. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. Go join your family. Oh, I think he'd be like, ma'am, you get fast track. You've been <laughs> cleared. You did your work. You, you, you really earned uh, your place. You've, you've left the, you've left the world a better place than when you entered oh, it. Thank you. Um, Kate, I'm so happy to what was your line about in your bio was um social entrepreneur yeah social entrepreneur yeah mine is that's great and you know i think for me it's um that what this podcast has given me more than anything is it's allowed me to meet people that i wouldn't have access to or wouldn't have known and everybody i've had on has enriched my life and made it you know, it's so much better. And it's given me this social equity is what I, you know, a term that I've stolen, but, um, that's amazing. I definitely remember that with you being on this, uh, program that this is a highlight for me. And I want to thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been absolutely wonderful, wonderful talking to you. And thank you for coming to the world assembly and talking as well. It was, it was a brilliant conversation. I've, I've watched it back and it was amazing. You should watch it back if you haven't already. I'll watch it back with my eyes closed and cringing, but it was one of <laughs> the best days of my life. I'll never oh, that's awesome. It. Really, really amazing. And um, hopefully you'll be back in New York soon and we can um, get together. I'd love that. Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much, Quinn. It was great chatting Have to you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.